Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. There are some moments, aren't there, in history when you just know things will never be the same again. I don't know what comes to mind for you. What are the defining moments of life that when they were happening, you just knew you were living through something that was a pivot point in history? For me, and probably for a lot of people my age, the first one that comes to mind is 9-11. And you remember where you were when you got the news, when you first heard about those planes going into the towers. I was doing some work for my uncle that summer. I'd just finished um, sixth form. I was about to go off to uni. Uh, and my uncle's a joiner, but does kind of other building and construction-based work. And he, he gave me some work over that summer. And we were, we were digging up someone's garden, basically. We didn't get a cool digger like um, Adrian has at the moment. But um, we, we, we were doing it manually with spade work. Um, and I remember we had the radio on, and they announced the first plane had gone into the tower. And we thought, this is like some big tragic accident. We were a bit um, kind of surprised to hear it uh, until a little while later the second one happened as well and I was like oh oh my word something is happening. I remember that moment. I wonder what it is for you. People of different generations, different ages might highlight different moments. Maybe, uh, maybe it's the moon landing. Maybe you remember where you were that first moment that there was a big announcement that man had landed on the moon. Maybe it was when the the Berlin Wall came down and the Cold War was brought to an end. Maybe it was the announcement of the vaccine for COVID-19 when that was first on the news and you remember that moment. Maybe it was when Elon Musk bought Twitter. Maybe that was the um, defining moment for you. The biggest one in the history of the world is why we're gathered this morning. The resurrection of Jesus. He was dead and now he's alive. And of every pivot moment in history that's the one that has most turned the course of the entire world I wonder if you remember where you were the moment you first realized wow this is true this is real Jesus rose from the dead he was dead and now he's alive if ever there was a truth to change everything it's this one Debbie McDaniel says, throughout the history of all mankind, there has never been a more powerful event than the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He did what no other man or religion could ever do. He conquered death and he lives still today. So I'm going to take you into the story of the resurrection this morning and It's helpful, I think, sometimes when you're looking at a story that might have become familiar to sometimes find a set of eyes to view the story through so you can uh, appreciate it uh, through a new lens, through a new set of insights. And I want to take you on a journey into the resurrection through the eyes of one of Jesus's best friends. This is a man called Simon or Peter. It's the same guy. Both names refer to him. He was one of the ones who'd been around Jesus for the, the three years or so that Jesus had been going to different towns and villages, teaching and healing and doing all this. But he was one of the inner circle of the disciples. And we're going to experience the resurrection from Peter's point of view. 
Let me give you a bit of background on him. What was he like as a person? Well, he's the one who was so quick to step forward. You probably had people like this in your class at school. Maybe some of you were that person in your class at school. Who every time it's like, we need a volunteer to do something. Who's going to volunteer? I'll do it. Let me have a go at that. Any question? Yeah, I've got an answer. I've got a thought. Often dead wrong, sometimes totally right, doesn't matter to Peter. The thought's there, so he's going to jump at the opportunity to, to step out from the crowd to try something. And when you're this kind of person, there's a real advantage because you get to have some experiences that hardly anybody gets to share. You, you've just jumped in and you've taken the moment. There was a moment for Simon Peter when Jesus was walking on water and just without thinking, he goes and he walks on the water with Jesus. When you're that kind of impulsive type, you get to have amazing experiences. And you also get to end up doing some really stupid stuff that the people who've given it more thought might have just backed away from. It's both. It's the really cool stuff and the really stupid stuff together. So there's one time... Jesus was asking his followers, who does everyone say I am? What's the, what's the word on the street about me? And they give all sorts of answers. Well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you remind them of John the Baptist. And so, okay, what about you lot? Who do you say I am? And obviously, Simon Peter's the one to speak, isn't he? He's like, yeah, I get it. You're, you are the Christ. And he's the first one for whom the penny drops. And then uh, Jesus says to him, yeah, and this has been given to you by God. And on this rock, I will build my church. He gets this amazing validation from Jesus. Then five minutes later, Jesus starts explaining what his mission would be. That he'd be going to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer, that he would die, and then he'd rise again. And Simon Peter, kind of maybe kind of fresh off this big, amazing uh, moment of getting it right, he's like, no, you can't go and suffer and die. That's not how this works. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. And imagine having Jesus say that to you. He's got the high highs and he's got the low lows. We're going to pick up Peter's story on Thursday of Easter week. So Jesus died on the Friday. This is the day before. And what they've done, they've just had their big last supper together. And Jesus has invited them to a meal. It's a Passover meal. And after they've eaten, they've sung a hymn and they've set off towards the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was a prayer place for Jesus. He was going to go and get some time praying before uh, what he knew would come. But then there's a conversation described between Jesus and Simon Peter on the way. And you can imagine like the group are there, they're walking, maybe they're joking about, maybe they're, they're, they're chatting, just kind of uh, reflecting after this meal. And you can imagine Jesus and Simon Peter just, just dropping back from the group a little bit. And I, I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where okay, there's been conversation going on, but then you and someone else, you just drop back because you know it's going to get serious. You know there's something that needs to get brought up, some things that need to be said. And so Jesus creates this moment to have the conversation with Simon Peter. And he says, look, Simon Peter, you need to be careful. There's going to be a spiritual battle coming for you. And I want to warn you, I'm praying for you, Simon Peter. I'm praying that you'll be protected through this, but just be ready. Now, in classic Simon Peter style, he doesn't really get it. He, he doesn't take it on board. He just brushes the whole thing off. 
And here's what he says. We're picking it up in Luke 22. Now, I'm going to scatter around a few different Bible passages today, but I'll display them on the screen as we go. This is Luke 22, verses 33. So he said to him, this is Simon Peter talking to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He's not, he's not taking the warning. I'm saying it's fine. It'll be all right. Whatever comes, I'm in. But Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you've denied three times that you know me. So Jesus has warned him that he's going to deny knowing Jesus. And he's just not really taken the warning on board. Jesus gets arrested. Jesus gets taken before the high priest. And it's a bit awkward for Simon Peter because he can't just kind of uh, go with them, but he doesn't want to abandon Jesus. It's like he skulks along a little distance behind. He keeps them in sight and he tries to be as close as he can. And he ends up sitting in in a courtyard outside the, the building that Jesus is seeing the high priest in. This is verse 54, same chapter. So they seized him, that's Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. When they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat among them. Then a female servant, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him and said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And then the verses carry on, and basically the same thing happens twice more. Two more people say, no, I'm sure this guy was with him. He says, no, I wasn't. I don't know him. I'm nothing to do with him. And then a third time, he denies knowing him again. And then it says, at that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. Just think about that moment. Think about Peter sitting beside the fire. The the questions have been asked. I wonder if you've ever had a moment when life has just become completely chaos. You don't know what's going on. Events are happening quicker than you can process them. And you're just trying to come to terms with what's happening. Imagine how it is for Simon Peter, sitting by this fire, his best friend, his Lord, his saviour, the one who he's built his entire life around following, is now arrested. He's got no idea how this is going to go. What would you be thinking? What would you be doing? If it was me, I'd be like, I just need a bit of headspace. I need a bit of quiet. I need to figure out what I think of it. I need to figure out what's going on. I need to process events. And when you're in that space and someone tries talking to you, isn't that the most annoying thing? Isn't it like, just, just shut up for a minute. Just give me, give me 10 minutes. We'll have a conversation in a bit. Right now, I just need a bit of thinking time. Sometimes, do you ever feel like when someone asks you a question and you're in that space, rather than working out what you actually want to say to their question, you don't have capacity for that. You're just thinking, what answer will make them stop talking to me? (laughs) I wonder if there's a little bit of that for Simon Peter here. Uh, And as this uh, servant asks him, he's like, no, just go away. No, I don't know him. Just, Just stop talking to me. But he denies knowing Jesus. It led him to say the worst thing he's ever said. Worse than the thing that made Jesus say, get behind me, Satan. Now he's denying knowing Jesus at all. After his cocky insistence, yeah, I will remain true, even unto death. All it took was the threat of looking a little bit bad to this young servant woman beside an open fire for all that to be thrown away. 
And then what happened next, this is haunting. This is one of those verses that when you just consider it, it, it gives you chills. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine that moment. Imagine you've just done this. You've just denied knowing Jesus. And then you see from this house in the distance, the Lord turned and he looks. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he'd said to him before the cock crows today, you'll deny me three times. Can you imagine what's in that look of Jesus? Can you imagine what's in his eyes? I don't think it would be condemnation. That's not Jesus's style. But I'll bet you this, I bet Peter couldn't meet his eyes. I bet he couldn't lock eyes as Jesus is looking at him. It's that moment when reality hits, where you just know, oh my goodness, I've majorly stuffed up and it hits. No wonder the next verse says that he went out and he wept bitterly. He's broken by what he's done. I love Peter. I think he's great. This moment that it hits and he's ready to cry over his sin. How many people do that? How many people deeply engage with their own failings and faults? We seem to be living in a day when a lot of sins brought to light, where there are all different things that have been done in the shadows that have been exposed. And often the response you get is people squirming and wriggling and making excuses and trying to spin things. Not Simon Peter. He's repenting. He's broken. It's hit him hard. He's the real deal. Owen Feltham said, all men will be Peters in their bragging tongue. Most men will be Peters in their base denial, but few men will be Peters in their quick repentance. I wonder if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of something this morning. I wonder if there's something, just as we're talking, that you know is just a thing and he's laying it on you. And if there is, I wonder if Peter's response is one that you can identify with. I wonder if it has broken you. I wonder if you will cry over what you've done. Well, let's fast forward to the Friday. So Peter and the cross. So let's talk about Peter's experience at the cross. And the lack thereof, because we're told about the cross. We're told uh, about all these conversations Jesus had. John was there, and we're told about a conversation Jesus had with John. Uh, And Jesus pointed out to John, look, John, I want you to take care of my mom when I'm gone. We hear about Mary and the conversation Jesus had with her. And who's conspicuous by their absence? It's Peter. What conversation might have happened between Jesus on the cross and Peter, maybe, maybe he'd have asked Peter to take care of his mum, but Peter wasn't there. Maybe he'd have had some special words of encouragement to give to Peter. But Peter was gone. Imagine what Friday was like for Peter. After Thursday night, after the denial, after the look, after the breaking down in tears. What was Peter doing on that Friday? He wasn't at the cross. Maybe he just found a space. Maybe he was just sitting. Maybe he was trying to just come to terms. Do you ever have that thing where you replay the events that have happened to you over and over and over again in your mind? I bet that was Friday for him, full of tears, probably didn't want to talk to anyone, couldn't engage, went to just a space and the whole thing crashing down on him. What was his Saturday like, knowing that Jesus was now dead and in the tomb? He missed the last moment with him. His last memory 
of Jesus was that look. Imagine what a Saturday was like. And then Sunday comes. Sunday morning. And it's dawn. And by now Peter's uh, gathered again with some of the others, some of the the rest of the group. And some of the women from the group decide they're going to go to the tomb. They're going to treat the body. This was a a quite normal thing. They're going to put spices on it. They're going to clean things up. And they're going to make sure that Jesus has a dignified burial in the tomb. So they go and they do that. And then they come back to the rest of the group. And when they come back, they've got a bit of a story to tell. Uh, and, And it's a fascinating story. It's a story saying, look, when we got there, we went to the tomb But the body wasn't there. We couldn't find him. We thought he'd be there. And he wasn't. And then we saw an angel who said he's alive. And they come back telling this story. Imagine you were one of the rest of the group. How would you react to that? What would you think? If it was me and a friend of mine said we went and the tomb was empty. I wonder if my first thought might have been... You idiots, you probably went to the wrong tomb, didn't you? (laughs) You you probably missed it. You probably went to one a little bit down the way and you couldn't find him. Right, let me show you where the right one is. I might have thought that. And when, (coughs) excuse me, when they start talking about the angel, if it was me, I'd be thinking, look, none of us have slept much over the last few days. We're all pretty emotional. This is kind of a life-crushing event that's happened. I get it. I get that you don't want it to be the case that he's dead. I get that um, you'd much rather there be some other explanation. But isn't this just wish fulfillment? Isn't this just you, you seeing what you want to see? Maybe I'd have responded that way. One of them uh, who went was his mother. Uh, and just put yourself uh, in her position, a grieving mother. You're just looking for something to latch on to. Right. And actually, most of the group did respond in that kind of way. Luke 24, verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and other women who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. I love verse 12, though. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. All of this group are sceptical. I love Peter. You know, the impulsive one, the guy who's just going to jump out of the crowd. And through all his brokenness and all his tears and his denials and his failures, that couldn't extinguish this beautiful, impulsive, stick-your-neck-out spark in Peter. And while everyone else is fobbing off the women's story, this broken, weary man starts running as fast as he can to the tomb because maybe just maybe there's a chance maybe just maybe some of the things he said were actually for real maybe when he said knock this temple down and in three days I'll raise it up again maybe just maybe that wasn't a metaphor maybe just maybe he was saying that there's something deeper to it than that Maybe that thing that he said when Peter rebuked him and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, about how I'll suffer and die and then on the third day rise again. Maybe, just maybe, there was something in it. Maybe, just maybe, those denials and that look don't need to be the last thing. Frederick Beekner says, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. 
I love that. Maybe, just maybe. And so Peter gets there. And what does he see when he gets there? He sees the linen cloths that Jesus' body had been in. And they're just laid there in the tomb. The body isn't there. And it says he went home marvelling. When you're in that place, when you're so broken, so desperate, everything seems bleak. And then you get just a glimpse of a hope that maybe everything will be fine. And at this point, he probably can't be sure. He's not seen Jesus for himself yet. But now there's a hope for Peter. A little bit later in the story then, Jesus appears to Peter. And it's mentioned in two different parts of the Bible. So one of them's Luke 24, verses 33 to 34. This is just after Jesus has met some people on the road to Emmaus. It says, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then the other time it's mentioned is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, that's just the Greek form of the same name, Peter, and then to the twelve. So in two different times we're told that Jesus, risen from the dead, appeared to Simon, appeared to Cephas. I want to know about this meeting. I want the details, I want to understand what happened, where was this? When was this? Was it on the way home when he was marvelling at seeing these linen cloths? And what happened? What was the conversation like? Was there like awkward tension between them? Uh, was there a, a hug? Was there another look? Like We're not told anything. We're not told what words were exchanged. We're not told what went down at all. Those two verses I've read are literally all we have. We just know the fact that he appeared to him. So I started pondering why. why. Why when we're given so many details about other resurrection appearances, why do we get so little about this one? And what I realised is, well, probably because this one isn't for us. This one isn't really meant for our benefit. Some of the others are. Some of the others are so that there'll be a witness to the world that death is conquered and Jesus has won and sin is atoned for. We need to appear to 500 at one time to spread the word. But first, that will be important. We'll get to that. But first, there's something I need to take care of. You can imagine the risen Jesus thinking, first, I've got this broken, teary Peter, my best mate, and I need to go and appear to him first. And I need to make things right with him it's like he's appearing to Peter saying Peter it's all right I'm back and because I'm back you're back too it's beautiful something about the heart of Christ in it it says this wherever you're at whatever you've done whatever the failures whatever the brokenness is he's not too busy dealing with all the save the world stuff to draw gently alongside you and then there's one more story. Risen Jesus. He meets Simon Peter at the beach. So uh, Simon Peter's a fisherman. The first miracle that he'd seen Jesus do uh, was when Jesus said, cast your nets into the, the sea. And he makes this miraculous haul of fish come. And on this uh, thing that we're told about at the end of John's gospel, he basically recreates the scene. He takes Peter back to the first miracle that he's seen Jesus do. It's like, hey, this is a do-over. 
we're starting again, Peter. It's okay, there's a fresh start for you. He takes him back to the scene. And then he recreates another scene. He gathers around a fire with him. And they're having a barbecue fish breakfast. Oh, that's a great breakfast, isn't it? Um, but when was the last time we saw Simon Peter around a fire in the Bible? Well, it was that night, wasn't it? When Jesus was in the high priest's house. He was sitting in the courtyard by the fire. And what did he say beside the fire? Three times he said, I do not know him. And we're meant to notice now that Jesus has put him back around a fire. He's brought him back to the scene of his failure. Tony Evans observes this. The Greek word for charcoal is only used two times in the New Testament. Once when Peter was warming his hands over a charcoal fire when he denied Jesus. The other time when he cooked Peter's breakfast over the charcoal fire. God took Peter back to the place of his failure. But what did he do in that place? When John 21, it says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he'd said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus didn't take Peter back to this scene to to linger there or to beat him up. This was about closure. This was about a do-over. Three denials. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Three affirmations. I love you. I love you. I love you. It's a do-over. Jesus sometimes takes you back to the moments when it's gone wrong. That's his kindness. He's about restoration. He's about rebuilding you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. I've got a mission for you. We're back on, Peter. It's fine. All that I've been training you to do, we go again. Jesus had plans and purposes for Peter. And nothing, not even Peter blowing it and doing the worst thing that he'd done in his entire life, not even that could stop the purposes Jesus had for him. If it took Jesus coming back from the dead to get those things back on track, so be it. I wonder if you know what lengths he'd go to for you. This moment set up the rest of Peter's life. A few weeks later, as Jesus had ascended to heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit and the people are giving praise in all different languages and everyone's looking at what is going on here? Are these people drunk? And someone needs to step up and proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive. He's poured out the Holy Spirit. The new covenant is here. Guess who steps forward? It's Peter. He's back and he preaches this sermon. He's thousands and thousands of people find forgiveness of sins, find new life in Christ. He was one of the leaders in the early church. He wrote chunks of our New Testament. And then, at the end of his life, he was crucified, upside down. Those words that he'd said, probably not understanding the full implications of it, on that night as they stepped back from the group on the way to the Mount of Olives, those words, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Maybe at the time he said them, Maybe he wasn't ready, but by the end, he was. And that's exactly what he did. So where was 
Peter when he first discovered that Jesus was alive. We, we don't know. We've not got the details about that meeting, but we do know it changed absolutely everything for him. It changed everything for me the moment I first discovered Jesus is alive, and it will change everything for you too. Where were you when you first knew it's true? Jesus has risen from the dead. I was at a weekend away with a bunch of students in 2002 in Norfolk. Maybe for some of you, the answer is, I was in the Heaton Centre on Easter Sunday, 2023. Maybe today is the day that the penny drops. If that's the case, come and grab me later. I would love to pray with you. But I just want to share uh, a verse. This is written by Peter later in his life. Here's what Peter wrote, reflecting back on all that had happened to him. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's risen indeed. Amen.